My name is Harry Kresa, and I'm the research associate with the Asia-Pacific team here at the Center for a New American Security. And I'm here with Patrick Cronin, our program senior director, to discuss the future of the U.S. rebalance. And uh, Patrick, what is this rebalance that we're always talking about? What does it actually mean on the ground in the Pacific? And what are our actual goals? Well, the rebalance is an Obama administration policy of greater engagement with the Indo-Pacific region, but it even precedes the Obama administration in terms of United States recognition that the Indo-Pacific region is becoming the locus of the global economy and, because, and is likely to become the center of both opportunity and challenge in the 21st century. So logically, the rebalance of the Asia-Pacific is essentially a gradual U.S. adjustment to the diffusion of power away from the west to the east, if you will, away from the Atlantic to the Pacific and Indian Oceans. That's a long-term trend, but it doesn't tell you what we should be doing day-to-day, year-to-year, and that's where there are a lot more issues about what we should be doing. One of the misconceptions about the rebalance policy of the Obama administration is that it should be coming at the expense of our Middle East interests or our European interests. That was never an intent. I think the Obama administration did intend to try to extricate America's ground war involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan as much as possible, but not neglect the Middle East interests of the United States. And it certainly never meant to neglect the strong transatlantic relations that we had. Nonetheless, unintended consequences are still a result of policy. And it's worth remembering that uh, just the perception of giving more attention to the Indo-Pacific led some in the Middle East to think there were new opportunities to take advantage of America's vacuum of power, if you will, and it led some in Europe perhaps to do the same or to think that the United States was spending uh, and caring less about our European allies. So uh, the rebalance is not intended to be a pivot away from anything. It's intended more to grasp the diffusion of power to the Asia region, take advantage of those opportunities, and then to start dealing with the security challenges. So what are the security challenges? Um, one of the security challenges is a rising China. And that reemerging China that we're facing even though it's an uncertain future for China, uh, China is going to continue to be the world's second largest economy, even if things go badly, if the rate of economic growth slows down significantly in the coming decade or two. And China has shown no willingness to slow down spending on defense. And what they're investing in largely are systems that can help to counter any military intervention, including U.S. power projection to the Asia-Pacific region. So the United States, if it's going to continue to have credibility with its allies and partners, if it's going to continue to be able to be impose a credible challenge to China should it be more aggressive, uh, then it's going to have to find ways to counter that. So the rebalance of the military dimension is improving our force posture in the region to show that we're engaged and that we're there, that we're moving our most uh, capable forces, especially naval forces, but also air forces to the Indo-Pacific so that we're postured to be engaging uh, new partners and allies. Um, that were active in showing up as we sh showed up in the South China Sea recently when there are issues around artificial island building. Um, but, but not just the military side. It's also the economic and diplomatic dimensions. So the Trans-Pacific Partnership is the centerpiece of our trade and economic engagement growing, starting with 11 other partners across the Asia-Pacific region. But in a second and future rounds, 
hopefully engaging more countries in the region so that we can capitalize on the growing economies of the Indo-Pacific region. Um, diplomatically, I think from the beginning of the Obama administration, there's been a step change in the diplomatic engagement, including joining the East Asia Summit process, for instance, and that's sort of the pinnacle of the foreign policy setting agenda, and then working all the way down to engaging partners bilaterally, uh, trilaterally, uh, and multilaterally. So in the interest of making sure that we aren't perpetuating any misperceptions about the rebalance policy and making sure that we're uh, sending the right signals to uh, the right people, what uh, what are we trying to uh, avoid create uh, what kind of perceptions are we trying to avoid uh, we get a lot of we hear a lot of criticism from the Chinese government that we're uh, doing this we're undertaking this policy to encircle China to contain China how do how do the US policymakers make sure that that's not the signal that we're sending and that this main this uh, continues to be a entirely benevolent uh, policy decision well, it is very important for U.S. decision makers to understand how China perceives actions of the United States because it perceives it differently from the way we perceive it in Washington, D.C. So they have a point. We should be concerned about how they perceive these issues. But they have a point only to some extent. That is, they're also using that concern, an exaggerated concern about what we're up to with this rebalance, uh, for their own deliberate increased influence in the neighborhood. Um, and so the rebalance is a balance indeed. It's a balancing act for the United States. So for China, we're trying to signal to China, we want to engage you and be as cooperative as possible with you to the extent you're willing to be cooperative and to be uh, some uh, contributor to uh, security and to the economy of the region. Uh, but if you're going to use unilateral change to the status quo uh, through coercion and force as your means of gaining influence over the region, well, we're going to try to be there to ensure that you have to play nice with your neighbors, that you're going to be there to follow rules of the road, to adhere to international law. Um, and so that balancing act uh, is a tough one, and it's one that will persist, that we'll have to do more or do less depending on what China's actions are. So when China's using a diplomatic offensive while we're conducting a freedom of navigation operation, we have to understand that we still need to conduct that freedom of navigation operation because we're making a point of international law and we have to understand now that we also need a, a very active diplomatic agenda to deal with China's diplomacy as well because we're also open to real genuine understandings and agreements such as a binding code of conduct and how a country should behave, not an artificial code of conduct uh, which essentially doesn't in, in, is not enforceable and, and is not adhered to. Um, we also need to make sure we're balanced toward our allies and partners in the region. So they expect us in many cases to do the hard security work but they also don't want to make a choice between United States security protection and economic gains with China um, so the United States and all the countries in the Asia Pacific want to continue to trade and have commerce and other exchanges with China we want to see China prosper and grow and be a rule abiding um, but we don't want to do it and see it at the expense of the neighbors in the region so we don't want our neighbors uh, our allies and partners in the region to be feel abandoned, um, but we don't also want them to be emboldened to be reckless uh, toward China either. 
So there's uh, some importance in making sure that we're not sending uh, the wrong signals to both our, our friends and our potential rivals in the region. There are, and that is a daily exercise of wisdom and judgment in good policy that we can't fix in this project that we're working on. What we can do, though, is we can think through strategically what are the foundational strengths and investments that can be made, can be implemented with allies and worked with partners to give us the strength to act prudently, wisely, and to preserve our ability to deter conflict, to dissuade China against aggression, and to find new ways to cooperate, and including building uh, means of establishing confidence building that will avoid unintended consequences, escalation, and other concerns that could come from increased military capabilities in the region. They're increasing already. Well before the rebalance, Asia-Pacific was launched on at least an arms walk, if not an arms race. And as a result, we're going to have to figure out ways that the rising capabilities of Asian militaries don't clash and don't come to an unintended consequence of, of conflict. So as we're, as the United States is, is engaging in this rebalance policy, trying to make sure that uh, we're properly oriented towards this future center of commercial uh, and political gravity in the Asia-Pacific region while making sure that our, our actions there and the actions of all the parties in the region don't cause instability or conflict. What are our metrics of success going to be going forward? You had mentioned uh, our, our for force posture and changes and our uh, economic and diplomatic progress made around the Trans-Pacific Partnership and greater engagement with multilateral institutions in the region. But what, what can we expect to see in the future in a rebalance that is going well and achieving its aims? Well, as with anything this complicated, it's hard to measure what we're really trying to achieve, which is the strategic outcome. So hopefully the preservation of peace. Uh, so there are some very prominent people predicting that we'll see conflicts in the East and South China Seas over the next 10 years. If we have the absence of those conflicts, that in itself would be a good metric that we're achieving deterrence. But unfortunately, avoiding risk entirely so that we don't even get close to those conflicts is not necessarily the answer. That's why the lines of effort, the inputs, if you will, not the strategic outcomes of what the United States and its allies are trying to achieve are important. We have to be engaged and forward present. We have to build our alliances and strengthen our partners' capacity. We have to make sure that we're introducing intelligently, at least, uh, some of the emerging technologies and emerging innovative concepts of operation that keep our forces credible and able to cooperate with more countries in a, in a coalition of the willing, if you will, if necessary, if aggression should emerge. But we have to do all of that within a political diplomatic uh, strategy that uh, reminds ourselves what is the political objective of why we're investing in these systems? Why are we investing in this forward deployment? Why are we investing in militaries at all? Well, we're trying to preserve the peace so that we can have greater freedom, greater commerce, greater exchange, and so that the countries can be respected and the concern right now is that China's rising so quickly and it's modernizing its military so quickly and it's overshadowing all of its neighbors' militaries other than maybe Japan that all of the countries in the region are uncertain about their future security. And they're looking to the United States, the world's most powerful military in the year 2015 at least, to help underwrite their future security. So hopefully in 2025, we're still dealing with a world where the countries feel in the region feel relatively comfortable and secure that China's not going to attack them, 
that uh, in that China feels relatively secure, that the United States is not really trying to contain China, um, that even though we have been more active and more engaged, we've rebalanced to the Indo-Pacific uh, another decade forward, um, it's still underwriting a stable system. But it's a system that's bent on um, cooperation, but also hedging. And this hedging is, is really the rebalance policy. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Patrick. And uh, thank you for giving us this great insight on what the future of the rebalancing of the Pacific, Pacific will hopefully be.